The views, information, or opinions expressed during the following podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the individuals involved. Hello, and welcome to Pseudo Intellectuals, the podcast where we discuss all things relating to politics, philosophy, culture, and law. I am Abraham Litwin Logan, and today we will be discussing the intersection between wealth inequality and morality. We are going to delve into the fundamentals of wealth inequality, questioning whether a society with less wealth inequality is inherently virtuous, considering questions such as, is it immoral to be a billionaire? Perhaps even more fundamentally, is wealth inequality something even worth focusing on? We're also going to talk about redistributive justice, as well as various programs utilized by governments across the world to tackle the growing issue of wealth inequality. But first, uh, today I'm joined by Michael. How's it going? Good. Thanks for asking. And Malik, how are you? I'm very good. And Harish, how's your Sunday going? It's going good. Just about to end with this, but yeah. So Malik, why don't we start with you? What's the state of the world, I suppose, uh, with regards to wealth inequality? Is it really bad? Do you have some you know, stats and figures that would help guide this discussion? Well, uh, I have to say that the gap between rich and poor has uh, been on the rise for the uh, past decades. Currently, the richest 1% of the global population own uh, about 44% of the world's wealth, according to a Credit Suisse uh, 2019 report. And according to Forbes, the 10 richest billionaires have a combined wealth greater than nations like Saudi Arabia, Switzerland, and Sweden. So we're not talking about uh, minor states, but states that have a global relevance and have a high uh, GDP. So that is the state of the world at the moment. And uh, wealth inequality has been around for quite some time. However, it is more prominent nowadays than it has been in the past. And I personally don't find an issue with uh, wealth inequality. But uh, the extent of that inequality nowadays is pretty uh, shocking and disparate. And it's the amount of that disparity that is problematic and not necessarily the existence of that disparity itself. Yeah, I, I think that's a really great way to start the conversation. And we know like in the in the U.S., for example, um, how this famous figure that three people uh, in the U.S., I think it's um, Jeff Bezos, uh, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett own as much as the bottom half of all Americans. So they own as much wealth as, you know, something like 150 million people, which is, you know, a really shocking thing. But uh, perhaps this in itself is not um, as shocking an issue as it um, sort of first presents itself. So perhaps we want to, I guess, move into uh, a discussion regarding the ethics of it. So, Michael, what do you think? Is there something inherently immoral about having such vast amounts of wealth inequality in modern society? Uh, I think for when I look at it, the question comes down to whether or not you think the accumulation of wealth is immoral in and of itself, right? So then if you see, if the answer to that is no, it's not immoral, then my counter would be, okay, so if I go out there and I steal some money, right, and if I go around and I have this massive, like, I'm Bernie Madoff, you know, I'm just like party scheme, stealing people's money, and I become a billionaire, is that immoral? And if the answer to that is yes, then obviously the difference would come in because you think that the act of stealing is immoral, right? So it follows then that, there's a very large gray area in terms of what we deem to be immoral and what is so again you know we hear these horror stories of uh 
how Amazon runs their uh, their warehouses, right? So it's you can say you can call it exploitation, you know, you can call it clever, cl- a clever business model, whatever you want to call it. But if we agree that it is exploitation, then is that immoral? And if so, you know, then it comes in where you start you start entering this question of what is what are immoral acts, right? Because then that's where that's where the line of the sand is drawn. So for me personally, I would say that I think it's if the way I would I would see it is if the act is, is immoral, then the the um, the wealth you accrue from the act cannot be said to be something that is morally right. So I guess uh, the best and also I'll just like to add right. I don't think it's possible. This is just my personal opinion, but I don't think it's possible for you to accumulate a billion dollars in a moral sense. I think there has to be some sort of, uh, you know, cost cutting involved, some sort of uh, exploitation of people in uh, who are less privileged and are unable to make the right or the choices that they should be, they, they should have. And I think that that comes from something that is uh, society that is inherently not equal. So I think there has, you know, that's sort of my take on the situation at least. I think that's some really great analysis to get us started. Uh, Personally, I'm not sure if I agree that a billion dollars can't, I guess, be gotten, probably not the right word by somebody, um, in a uh, only immoral sense. But I, th- I think some of the analysis is quite convincing because how could wealth accumulated um, through immoral means, how could the wealth itself not be immoral? Harish, uh, why don't you jump in here? Do you think this line of argument is convincing? I think on the face of it, it certainly seems convincing that if you're using immoral acts to gain something, then obviously that shouldn't be something that you deserve. But um, the argument goes a bit deeper than that, I think. It's more so about what you do with the accumulation of the wealth, I think is I think is the more problematic issue. So if you're accumulating such vast amounts of wealth and then you're doing nothing except to, for, to consume for your own benefit or the benefit of immediate peers who are privileged, then it doesn't seem to me to be a moral use of the resources you have available to you. But if you do use your wealth, your incredible amount of wealth in a way that benefits other people, um, classic example being someone like Bill Gates who set up the Gates Foundation and um, has done lots of work around the world, then I don't think it's so problematic. I think um, on a societal level, however, people tend to be distrustful of individuals who are able to hoard so much wealth. Even though they're good people like Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg and lots of others have also gotten onto different platforms and have tried to do good things. But um, the question becomes how much trust should we place in these individuals to make decisions that impact our society on such a far and wide basis that it seems almost scary to think about. Um, so I, I guess what I'm saying is it's not the wealth itself that's problematic, it's the fact that so much power comes as a result of the wealth that becomes problematic. And it's about how you use that power, be it judiciously or otherwise. So just returning briefly now to the essence of the question at hand, which is whether the accumulation of wealth is moral or is immoral. 
Uh, I do want to point out that I believe that the accumulation of wealth isn't immoral because uh, there are people that are just naturally better than others at the accumulation of wealth. Perhaps it is because they possess unique skills that are deemed especially valuable to society. And hence, those people that are especially good at accumulating wealth will have uh, more wealth than others. And hence, there will be wealth inequality. Again, the problem, at least as I see it, is the extent of that inequality. If that inequality is indeed very, very disparate, then there is a problem. And that problem has to be addressed, uh, perhaps by distributive justice. However, if that uh, disparity is not something that shocks uh, one's conscience, then perhaps there's no problem uh, after all. But uh, to, to state that the accumulation of wealth is immoral is to say that all wealth has to be distributed equally. So perhaps we should uh, consider a state of affairs where all wealth is actually distributed equally among everybody. Yeah, I think that's uh, a very um, fair, fair point, Malik. And I, this relates to the uh, notion of um, I, I guess, equality of outcome rather than equality of opportunity. So I guess sort of ex in exploring the idea of um, equality of outcome, this is something I'm personally um, quite against because I think this will make everyone worse off, um, even though we may achieve um, equality in the sense of everyone's equally poor and starving in reality. I think that's probably what would happen. But uh, just returning for a second, um, to, I guess, our fundamental examination of wealth inequality. Personally, and I think Malik uh, alluded to this earlier a little bit, personally, I'm, more, I'm, I'm not very concerned with the degree of wealth inequality. I'm a lot more concerned with um, how those who are most vulnerable in society are doing. So I guess to put it more succinctly, I care more about um, how, the, uh, how, the, how the people who are the poorest in society are doing than how um, many yachts, Bill Gates or whoever can buy. Because I think we have to look at it um, even on an individual level. You can take an example of the Walton family. So these are the people who, you know, started Walmart and they've, you know, accumulated vast sums of wealth. And some people may say, oh, um, the Walton family doesn't need $100 billion or $200 billion or whatever it is. But you have to remember that by um, achieving this much wealth for themselves, They've generated savings for millions and millions of consumers, which made them rich, but also made the lives of these consumers, you know, a lot better. And obviously, this is just one example, and there's plenty of, of examples of billionaires who, I guess, um, you know, didn't create such good for general society. But I think, uh, personally, I don't think wealth inequality is something that we should be so concerned with. Rather, we should be concerned with how well the poorest in society are doing. Is this something, at least on the face of it, that you know seems um, sort of consistent? Michael, what do you think? That's a lot to consider because I mean, because the the easiest, I guess, the easiest way the default would be if we got rid of wealth and inequality, then how? Like the question, the question of how are the poorest in society doing is inherently inherently sort of uh, alludes to this idea of inequality, right? Because then if, you know, if I were to say, you know, like, oh, if, if, it, was, if it was a utopia, everybody would have the same amount and we'd all be equally as happy. So then nobody would be like, th there would not be any higher up and there would not be any poor, you know, like th that gap wouldn't exist. And I mean, like Malik mentioned, the 
gap between the poorest person in the world and the richest person in the world can basically be seen from space now. So, like, uh, I'm not really sure how that's going to help, you know, like by saying that I, they, they're clearly not doing well, not in my eyes at least. What I think I, maybe is a better way to put it is, let's just say, I have no idea what the actual number is, but let's say the median um, net worth in the world is, I don't know, uh, $25,000, okay? Um, right. And there's people who are much lower than that, uh, the 25000 and then there's people in, you know, $100 billion, something crazy, right? So I'd prefer a world wherein the median um, net worth or average net worth or whatever is $25,000 than the comparative where everybody has the same net worth because I think the net worth would be uh, lower than the $25,000. You may have it be, I don't know, $20,000, but everyone's the same. I think that's something which is much worse than the status quo. Right. Then I think that's something that I can agree on because I think that the reason why capitalism is so appealing is because of the chance that you could do well because it's it always comes back to freedom right like everyone wants their freedom to choose and unfortunately when it comes down to that having the freedom to choose means having the freedom to choose wrong so if we go back to what malik said and how some people are better placed in society with say for example the skills that they have right or the skills that they've developed throughout their lives to then come out and accrue accrue wealth, right? So I think that that leans I I lean more towards that because of the way I see the human condition, and I believe that it's very important to have that choice, even if that choice means that I can choose wrong and I can be poor. Right. Um. I think both Michael and Abe have alluded to something that is a common critique of this strict egalitarian idea that Malik was suggesting we think about earlier, which is that everyone gets the same equivalently. Um, the, the fact is that people value different things equally. I mean, different things to different degrees. So just as a simplistic example, let's say it's a world in which everyone gets the same number of apples and oranges, but some people simply prefer apples and some prefer oranges. It's clear that both parties, if you were to make the exchange, and that's the underlying um, uh, that's the underlying premise of all economic exchange and capitalistic markets at present. So it's it's clear that there's a lot of benefit to 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 exchange in general. So I think um, it, it's hard for you to argue the fact that exchange and capitalistic societies and the incentive to work and to gain capital is problematic. It's quite important and useful. But Abe's right. I, I think inequality isn't inherently problematic. What's, what we should be concerned with is um, exactly where the lowest, uh, where, where the, the poorest of, of, of us all stand. So um, Rawls seems to underlie this idea in his um, difference principle, which is one of the early responses to strict egalitarianism. So he makes, he suggests that um, everyone should have some equal basic rights referring to political rights like freedom of speech, expression, assembly, so on and so forth. And he also says you can engineer inequalities such that they are to be the greatest benefit of the least advantaged members of society. So he says, he's basically saying it's fine for you to have inequalities so long as you're just maximizing the least well-off in society. So um, this is one interpretation of what Abe is suggesting, which is that 
in order to maximize the least well-off in society, sometimes we have to accept that we, we will have inequality in society if it means that the basic conditions of those who are least well-off are better met through economic uh, growth or whatever other means we see fit. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with wealth inequality. Um, but I think, as um, Malik can attest to, um, it's clear that wealth inequality right now is problematic simply because the least well-off don't have those access to the basic needs that we describe needs like access to good uh, schooling, access to education, um, access to the same opportunities that those more well-off members of our society do have access to. So I think that's the problem. Fair enough, Harish. That's a great point. And I just feel that it's important to address, uh, at least from my perspective, I believe that wealth inequality does have links to colonialism, slavery, and other sorts of detestable institutions. That is why I do believe uh, that distributive justice is important because distributive uh, justice enables social mobility. Governmental social programs are often paid by taxes and hence are an example of that distributive justice at play and doing good uh, for society. However, I do feel I need to talk a little bit about distributive justice because the concept can take many forms. You can have uh, distribution based on a view uh, to equality, to equity, to need, or to many other factors. I personally prefer uh, a distributive uh, justice model uh, that takes into account the needs of individuals. Uh, in essence, those that are most that have the most needs in society or those that benefit the most uh, or receive the most help uh, by the government, for example. However, I propose that we use the veil of ignorance to tackle the issue. Uh, so, student intellectuals, were you responsible for setting up a state? Would you advocate for wealth equality and distributive justice? Uh, just remember that you could end up among the top uh, 1% just as easily as you could end up among the bottom uh, 1%. I think just for our listeners, Malik, do you want to clarify what the veil of ignorance is for those who may not be aware? Sure. Uh, so the veil of ignorance is uh, a tool to determine uh, the ethics or the morality of an action. In essence, you uh, create a fictional society of which you will become a part, but you do not have your current standing. In other words, you can take uh, you can be a part of the top one percent of that society or the bottom one percent, and then you make a decision in relation to the morality of the uh, topic you're discussing for that society. Uh, and hence, it's supposed to reduce your biases. Uh, as you won't know what part of society you will compromise in that fictional society. So, for example, using the veil of ignorance, um, let's say someone's current position in society is that they're a Olympic level swimmer and they wanted to create a new society where all swimmers were worshipped as gods. This is something that probably wouldn't be um, good according to the veil of ignorance. Is that right, Malik? That is correct, because in all likelihood, uh, that person would no longer be an Olympic swimmer in the fictional society that uh, they would be creating. Right. Um, so I think that's a really, really great way of um, forming this discussion. And I think we're going to have probably quite differing answers to this. But I, let's say personally, I would want to create a society where there would be true equality of opportunity. Um, yeah, I think, but I, I don't think I'd want, I, I think that itself would be enough to make the society good in my, in, in my view, because this would mean that people would all, I guess, sort of um, be starting from roughly the same, well, no, not exactly. They wouldn't be starting from the same place in society, but they'd all have 
the same uh, ability, the same chance to succeed in society. But then one of the problems with this is then you may um, ask, oh, should people not be able to inherit any wealth? Should they all, you know, go to the same schools, not private schools, they all go to the same um, standardized schools? And I'm not sure that's something I agree with. So um, it's a really, really tough question. But then... I think... I think I could, I could, I could, like, I could offer like a middle ground. I think also the reason why it's so difficult to, for for us to choose is, I think it's because I I I do see where you're coming from, and I think one of the biggest reasons why it's so, like, you don't want to give that up, but you you feel bad about keeping it is the idea that um inherited wealth. Like wealth you've inherited is generally like Malik said, it comes from a place of privilege, right? And back then, it's like we are moving towards equality. I like to think, right? You know, we've d- despite what's happening in the U.S. right now, uh, I like to think that we've come a great ways in terms of uh, tackling the issue of racism and whatnot. But th- you have to remember that that wasn't too far back, right? So a lot of the reasons why you say now you see inequalities in society and we don't believe that everybody starts from the same point and one of the things that's always brought up is like education is because of that inequality that existed beforehand so i think if we look at a veil of ignorance and we go back to that if our starting society from scratch i wouldn't mind having that like i would be okay with having inherited wealth as because you know that the wealth wasn't exploitative it wasn't something that you you got because you stood on the shoulders of other people, right? So I think that's there's nothing wrong with with wanting to give to the next generation to give to the future. Because if you start if if you say that oh you know we shouldn't have inherited wealth, then I'm just gonna say well then we should just like w- when Bill Gates goes and he donates like ninety percent of his his wealth to charity, we should burn it because. It, that's inherited wealth, right? Like, I mean, if we take it to the other extreme, of course, this isn't something that I actually uh, advocate for, right? I do not burn Bill Gates' donation, but that's sort of the idea that's behind it. You know, you can always pull it to the extreme, and I think that that's quite dangerous. Yeah, um, perhaps inheritance wasn't the best example, but I mean, like, even people are born with things like IQ differences, right? So right. if I'm born with a IQ of 105 and you're born with an IQ of 145, it's almost certain that you're going to do much better than I am, right? So we don't have the same opportunity because naturally you're a lot smarter than me. You're a lot more intelligent than me. So how do you control for things like that? Are you going to put like a, a limitation on your success because my IQ is lower than yours? That seems well, a little stupid to me. Then but, again... We 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 can talk about like uh, it, everyone's different, right? So say for example, we go by your example. I I have a IQ of one hundred and forty five, and you have an IQ of one hundred and hundred and five, and you want to be a rocket scientist, but I want to be an NBA star. And you're six foot six, and I'm five foot I'm five foot five, right? Like then you know it's 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 always unfair because you can't you can't just narrow it down to one particular thing and be like, okay, we're only talking about IQ, so everyone's IQ has to be the same. Well, then everybody has to be the same height, the same build. We have to have the same hand-eye coordination. We have to have have the same reflexes, you know, like reaction speed, all that kind of stuff. Like it's it's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Like then you know we would yeah. just all be the same person. I think that 
like it comes back to freedom of choice, right? So like you have, I think it's it's equal opportunity for what you want to choose. So say for example, I wanted to be an NBA star. I'm five foot five. I should have the same access to resources. I shouldn't be limited. Like oh, you know, only people who are six foot can enter the basketball gym. That's unfair, right? Like that creates inequality, right? Anyone can join, right? But not everyone can succeed. I think that's the important thing. Yeah, I think that makes a lot a lot more sense. But mm-hmm. I think. Even with that analysis, then you can use the same argument to argue for the, um, allowing people to keep their inheritance. But I, I think this, um, this sort of, I guess, uh, back and forth points to problem with the veil of ignorance in that, you know, we're not creating a society from anew. You know, if we want to get rid of inheritance, we're going to forcibly seize the wealth that people have worked to create. If we want to make society more equal and various ways, or if we want to introduce redistributive justice, you know, properties, then we're going to have to, you know, um, really compel people to do things. And I think any analysis of um, redefining society has to take that, those considerations into account. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I also think there's an element of practicality. So um, people, let's, let's create a hypothetical state in which after you pass your 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 assets go back to the state and then they get redistributed, right? Um, billionaires are always going to find a way to get out of these arrangements, and they've always been able to do so either by changing citizenship, by moving offshore, or um, just just engineering their their wealth in a way that it can't be touched by the state, right? So I don't think there's a lot of practicality in those um, arguments as well for a veil of ignorance type argument, but it does give us a good lens to think about um, inequality and how we might be able to um, ameliorate them to an acceptable level. So um, I think it's difficult to deny that everyone should have equal access to at least the same opportunities when it comes to education, um, general well-being, uh, safety and security. So those things, I think people in general will be in in, in common agreement about the fact that everyone ought to, to get those things. But um, obviously, natural talents are a bit more difficult to equalize, which is the inherent nature of the way we, we exist, right? So I think it's fine for us to do as much as we can to equalize the playing field by providing, for example, a decent quality of education, decent access to social services and health. And I think that's... And, and, and the premise of the veil of ignorance can just be an aspiration to which we work, but need not be a guiding principle for us as an absolute end goal for us to reach towards. Yeah, that's well put, Harish. Um, Malik, do you want to jump in on uh, any of what Harish said, or should we move back towards um, the prior discussion? Well, if I were to uh, consider the veil of ignorance and set up my own society... I uh, would be in favor of distributive justice because were I among uh, the bottom 1%, that would allow me uh, the opportunity to uh, rise up. Uh, I would also be in favor of the accumulation of wealth, so that would be possible. Uh, I'd have to be in favor of both uh, in case I was in the bottom 1% so that I would be able to rise up. And if I was in the top 1%, then I would also have the accumulation of wealth upon which to rely on and succeed. So I feel that having both distributive justice and the accumulation of wealth together within a society is a mechanism uh, by which uh, you can maximize uh, the benefits to yourself 
no matter what position in society uh, you are in. Can you expand on um, the distributive justice point a little bit? Because as many know, distributive justice is a very, you know, expansive uh, idea and many people have different interpretations of it. So how would you distribute justice, Malik? Fair enough. Uh, as I've mentioned, I do uh, adhere to a more needs-based model of distributive justice. That means that those with the most needs in society are those which uh, are benefited by the state. So for example, those that are poverty stricken will have uh, uh, the aid of the state and at this capacity, right? I would also need to have the uh, help of the state so that I would have the opportunity to rise up because if everybody were given equal wealth, that actually uh, there actually wouldn't be equality because those that have uh, inherent disability have greater expenses because of their disability, if I make myself clear. So I would uh, adhere to a needs-based model of distributive justice uh, through social programs uh, funded by taxes and other such uh, mechanisms. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. Uh, if we can just return um, quickly to what we were discussing before about billionaires, um, I wanted to bring up the idea of the philosopher Pete Singer, which is essentially that um, he doesn't believe that there's something immoral about be, um, being a billionaire, because what changes when your bank account balance goes from 999 million to a billion dollars? But he rather, you know, proposes that there is something immoral about dying as a billionaire. So if we want to explore that a little, but I, I also just want to mention uh, and this min misconception, which I see quite a lot, which is this uh, notion that there's a correlation between, you know, a, a lot of billionaires, a lot of uh, very wealthy people and increased wealth inequality. Rather, uh, it's the exact opposite. And there's, you know, quite a, a wide range of academia on this that um, suggests that, you know, the intensity of billionaires, so the amount of billionaires um, is higher in countries with low levels of uh, income inequality. So I think this is something that's, you know, really quite interesting. But uh, maybe let's revert to this um, notion pre presented by Pete Singer. Um, Harris, do you think this is something that's worth considering, or is he flawed in his analysis? Um, I think Singer is certainly onto something in that um, he's pointing out there's nothing immoral with the accumulation of wealth, but rather, uh, I mean, with the initial accumulation of wealth, but rather in keeping that wealth and not deploying it properly. So it sort of sits nicely with the initial proposition of saying, which is that it's not really about how much you gain, but rather it's about how you use that wealth. So I think um, in Singer's model, what he probably advocate for is for um, billionaires to use their money in a manner that benefits society overall. And it, it's, it links back to, to a sort of utilitarian model, which is that you're aiming to do something that benefits all in society as much as possible. So um, I think a common argument against billionaires is that every amount of money that you hoard is some amount of money that you're not giving away to someone in need, right? But um, if you're able to accumulate capital at a rate faster than in, in a way such that the total amount of wealth that you accumulate will be able to benefit people more than if you had given up the initial amount of wealth to someone in need, then it seems not only um, not only reasonable, but also seems morally just to do that thing because you're accumulating wealth faster so that you're able to deploy it in a manner that benefits more people. So what I mean by that is, say Bill Gates started out with $100 and then he used the $100 and his work in order to invest 
his time and money into creating Microsoft and earning the huge amounts of money that he did, and then ended up creating um, his Gates Foundation, Gates Trust, so on and so forth, as opposed to him merely giving up the $100 in the first place. W wouldn't you say that um, it makes sense for someone like Bill Gates to have focused on accumulating that much capital so that he or she is able to do the right thing for society? I, th I think it is. So I, th I think Singer is onto something. Um, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with being, being a billionaire. It's more or being really rich. It's more so about the weighing of opportunity costs in decision making. And at the end of your of, of your lifetime, is it for you to give up all your wealth to, to your offspring or to the rest of society from which you've gained so much? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's quite fair. But let's say somebody has, you know, uh, a net worth of, I don't know, $100 billion and they give away $99 billion before they pass away and they leave the last billion to um, their relatives, their children and the like. Is this person, you know, just now they become an immoral person or I guess their activities in the past now that they've passed away are done unethically? I don't know how convincing that is. What do, what do you think about this, Michael? Sorry, uh, could you just rephrase that question again? So, like, you think the question is, like, if I would have a problem with them having a billion dollars? Well, uh, no, the question is more that um, if Pete Singer is correct and that right. if someone, you know, dies being a billionaire, this means that they didn't um, do what they should have done with the money, i.e. distribute it or give it to charity or the like, and therefore what they did was immoral. But if somebody gives away a huge amount of their wealth, does a lot for general society through charity and other means, but they still have, you know, a billion or two billion or three billion dollars, which they want to pass on to their children, are they an immoral person, even though well, they've I, done so much for society? I think I think then we're just splitting hairs there. It's just uh, it's just a question of semantics, you know, like if you know, like I was a trillionaire and then I die a billionaire, like does that mean that I'm like according to Pete Singer, an immoral person. I don't think that's the case, right? It's more of like Harris said. I, mean, I think you you just have to give more than you you keep. I think it's and also because I feel like uh, spending expands to feel like your spending habits expand to feel how much money you have, right? So say for example, if I'm like if I'm just a normal person. I would be buying a normal car and staying in you know relatively normal house, right? But if you put you give me like two billion dollars, then yes, obviously I would buy a massive house and drive a nice car because you know like that's that's how like why why not right? Like the percentage I spend, say for example, I think I I like to, I prefer to look at spending in terms of percentages. Like if I'm gonna spend fifty percent of my net worth on my house, if my net worth is ten million and my net worth is a hundred million then the house, the, the percentage will still re remain the same, right? So I think it's important, it's sort of the idea that if I'm giving away 99.9%, but, but the 0.1% still means I'm a billionaire, it's, you can't say that by that logic, I'm immoral, you know? I think that's just too, like, it's, it's too unfair. I don't think that's fair. Yeah, yeah I, th I think I agree with you. But let's say we had, decided amongst ourselves that you know wealth inequality is something that is inherently unethical and as a society we need to strive uh, towards destroying it 
what would this actually look like, Malik? What would the realistic comparative be in a world where we decide that wealth inequality is something we cannot have? Well, uh, I believe that the entire wealth of a state would then have to be controlled by the government, and it would then be uh, the latter's responsibility to distribute uh, that wealth equally among everyone. And uh, this would in turn mean that one would have to deposit a great deal of trust in that government to act in the best interest of its people and uh, act without corruption, of course. And I don't know if many people would actually be able to trust the government with so much responsibility and to act in the interest of the people without being corrupt, uh, keeping in mind that a huge amount of wealth would be in their hands and they would be responsible for distributing it uh, to everyone. Additionally, uh, the state would need to monitor its citizens to ensure that they do not accumulate wealth uh, by illicit means. And therefore, uh, we would have to have a surveillance state, at least to an extent. And uh, I, I don't think this is uh, that desirable. And, and I don't see an alternative for a state because at least I believe that uh, it wouldn't be in human nature to cooperate uh, with uh, the state to not accumulate wealth because it is uh, to your benefit to accumulate wealth, right? So there would have to be some sort of surveillance and policing to ensure that uh, nobody uh, engaged in that uh, illicit activity. And, and so I, I believe that a society without uh, wealth inequality would have to resemble something along those lines or in something along that nature. Yeah, um, just, just to jump in, I think what Malik is describing is basically um, almost every communist state we've known till date, which, is, which involves state collectivization. And we know from historical perspectives that state collectivization in general has never worked well because it breeds economic inefficiencies. So even if you're not inclined towards, um, even, even if say you're acceptable with the idea of the state running everything, right? The truth is it won't lead to more income or wealth than a capitalistic economy would. So I think it's, 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 it's quite, not only is it regressive, I think it's self-defeating in that the least well-off, like Abe suggested, will probably be less well-off in general because of the lack of incentive and because of the fact that a government with that much power will tend to preserve its power and do things that uh, perpetuate its power. So meaning, for example, Stalin, um, the numerous the, the, the numerous number of killings he did to eliminate um, uh, the bourgeois, um, Mao's uh, famine and his elimination of political opponents. These things are fairly common because power tends to entrench itself. And so because of the fact the government has so much power, it's difficult for you to, to um, basically prevent hoarding of power. So, I mean, not, not to make it seem like I'm representing extremes, but the truth is that the incentives in a, in a collectivization-based model lead to these things, and history has shown us that uh, quite clearly. Yeah, um, Harris, it's almost like uh, communism doesn't work. Wow, that's quite <laughs> shocking. But... Um, all joking aside, I mean, we can even point to, I guess, more um, less less state control models, but still increased state control models um, where uh, there was, you know, severe economic problems as a result of attempts to redistribute um, large amounts of wealth, such as uh, in Sweden. And I think like the 1960s, 70s, where the Swedish economy almost completely collapsed and, until they stopped their redistributive practices. I, and I think there's a, you know, an, an, a, a wide variety of examples um, we can talk about. But um, clearly, this does not seem like the, the, the right direction. 
adopting an approach where we try and totally get rid of wealth inequality. So what, what's the way, way forward? What do we need to focus on as a society to, um, I guess, ameliorate this large gap in terms of making everyone better off, like we all seem to agree is the, is the best approach? Is it programs like Malik talked about with redistributive justice? Or is it more um, opportunity-based approaches, which I, I touched on? Or is, is there something else that, that we're missing? What, what do you think, Michael? I think for me personally, the biggest problem I see is in access to whatever it may be for opportunities to succeed. So like, I think it starts young. Like if you, if you don't know of something, then you would never strive towards it, you know? So like, I think education is a really big part of what gets you places. I think being able to be exposed to uh, amount a variety of different things when you're younger and a little bit more manable, you know, like you, like I think a lot of those, like having a good education is just a good foundation in general, right? Because I don't want to take away that choice. So I would rather you be a genius and then decide that nothing in society matters, you know, life is life is meaningless. We're all gonna die in the end and then just live your life out destitute rather than not not have that choice to. So I think for me personally, I think the biggest thing in society today that has to change is probably uh, access to uh, education and amongst other things. Right? But I, I do want to say that I really agree with uh, what Malik said about a needs-based uh, distributive justice and how um, the starting line isn't necessarily the same for everyone because of how society works now. So even if I say, oh, you know, everyone has equal access to justice, like to uh, education, that's not necessarily true because of how some people might require more help. So I think that that's something that we also have to take take into account when talking about this. Yeah, I think that's a very good. Uh point for us to finish on. I think we had a really good discussion um, covering a very broad range of, of topics. Um, so as the avid fans of the pseudo-intellectuals know, uh, we have a couple notes before you go. If you're a fan of the show or just enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a rating or review in the podcast store or tell a friend about us. To stay up to date, make sure to subscribe to the show. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at pseudointpod, follow us on Instagram at pseudointellectualspod, or like our page on Facebook at pseudointellectualspod. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and of course, you'll hear from us again soon.